Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about some exciting new evidence around the Shroud of Turin. That's right, we're joined by Dr. Gilbert Lavoie, an author of a new book on the Shroud of Turin, to look at new evidence supporting the veracity that the Shroud of Turin actually was the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. As Pope Benedict said in his meditation on the Shroud of Turin, one could say that the Shroud is the icon of this mystery, the icon of Holy Saturday. We are going to take a deep scientific look at this icon, the Shroud of Turin. Obviously, because we're not very scientific, we've brought a very special <laughs> guest, uh, Dr. Lavoie, uh, on the show today. Welcome, doctor. Uh, really excited about this topic and to hear from you today, but I uh, would like to welcome you to, to our, our Catholic talk show. Yeah, Dr. Lavoie, you know, I we, Ryan Delacrosse and myself, we had a sister Lavoie in seminary that kicked him out of the choir and that I worked with for five years of happy memory. Uh, you know, I don't think you're related, but the pronunciation of your name is exact. And, you know, Ryan, You just had to throw me under some bus somewhere. Any opportunity I, I can. Thank you. Dr. Lavoie, you, you wrote a book, The Shroud of Jesus and the Sign of John, Ingeniously Concealed, and you yourself are a doctor, what's your what's your background uh, in specifically uh, as a doctor? Well, first of all, I think it's really wonderful to be here with you. I, I very much appreciate your your time and uh, and this opportunity to talk about the shroud and talk about my book, The Shroud of Jesus. Um, my background is I'm, I'm board certified in internal medicine, also in occupational medicine. I've done uh, a lot of public health. I've seen I've practiced in the practice of medicine for many years. And uh, so I, you might say I've been a, around the block in a number of things in the, in the, in the medical field. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, I got interested in many years ago was the Shroud of Turin. I, <clears throat> it happened to be, uh, I was in pre-med, uh, was at uh, my first year of pre-med at Boston College. And uh, well, I went, to, I just took a walk downtown and I went into this old bookstore in the back of the bookstore, there was this book called a doctor, uh, 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 excuse me, a doctor of Calvary. And uh, it was about the, uh, this, I thought it was about just the crucifixion of Jesus and his his thoughts on that. But it, it, it really wasn't. It was about the Shroud of Turin. And I was fascinated by what he had to say. And then I just put it aside. And then many years, about 18 years later, um, I'm sitting in my living room. I'm beginning my practice of medicine in, in, in Boston. And I open up the Boston Globe. And there I see a photograph of the Shroud of Turin stating that it was going to be shown in Turin, Italy. It was 1978. So I remembered what I had read many years ago. And I talked to my wife. And I said, say, let's go. I'd like to see what this is all about. And uh, I was very fortunate. And I got a hold of a priest by the name of Father 
Rinaldi, who is uh, who is sort of the liaison between a scientific group and getting this scientific study done in Turin. There were uh, about 30 uh, <clears throat> scientists who were studying the shroud. They were in Turin for about five days. And fortunately, I met with Father Rinaldi. Uh, he introduced me to that group, and many of those people I've uh, come to know, and some of them have been lifelong friends, uh, and I got involved in the shroud in sort of that way. I was allowed to take pictures of the shroud, and I was then went to a conference, and wow. then I came home, and that's where I that's where it started. That's phenomenal. So it was kind of like a vocational story of being introduced and then a number of years later, really feeling a vocational drawing into this mystery, this icon, as Pope Benedict called it. Now, for those listeners or viewers, Ryan, Sheil, you know, what is the Shroud of Turin? What are we even talking about? And and let's give a little bit of a historical background. Sure. So the Shroud of Turin is essentially purported by the Catholic Church to be the burial shroud of Jesus Christ. So the shroud that he would have been wrapped in after the crucifixion and before the resurrection. Uh, it has a long provenance. Uh, you know, we know definitively that it shows up in France, and I believe it was the House of Savoy uh, in the, the 13th and 14th centuries. Before that, it was the, the, the line of um, provenance is a little bit harder to establish, but it's generally accepted that it would have come from um, Constantinople and maybe made its way over in the sacking of Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to that, and we'd have to do a whole episode on the history mm -hmm. of it, which is just as fascinating. Mm -hmm. But it's good to get a little context sure. of of where this shroud is is coming. And it's really it's the burial cloth of Christ that bears the front and the back image of a man that that died. And uh, we did an episode on this when we were very new in the game yep. and mm -hmm. uh, out yeah. there in California and uh, Delacross. I that that experience of sharing on the shroud was such a powerful show and we are anticipating mm -hmm. you know a very very powerful show for you today uh, because this is new evidence that we're going to get into so make sure that you're connecting with us all the way through this episode uh, because the new evidence that's coming out is pretty fascinating stuff that that you want to know about yeah, yeah. a lot like uh uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe and that image and the scientific studies that have evolved yes. around that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are such great mysteries of our faith. They're great mysteries as just artifacts. Uh, they speak so loudly, truly. But, but they all, but they also have all these meanings and things that we yeah. can unpack over years. And so mm -hmm. this is like one of the. The, the most interesting images on the planet. Yeah, so yeah. so for a long time, the Shroud of Turin was a religious relic, right? It was a religious relic held in the Cathedral of Torino, and it was a sign of devotion. And that's how it's got its name, the yeah. Shroud of Turin. Right. But with the advent of photography in the late 19th century, people started noticing some very peculiar things that really kind of were incongruous and anachronistic with the time frame that the shroud would have been created, even if it was a medieval forgery, according to people, you would take a photograph of it and it's a perfect 3D negative. That technology just did not exist. You would find um, pollens on it that were only native to the Holy Land. You would find scientific findings and examinations of how a person would have been crucified and died that wouldn't have been known biologically or physiologically to people of the Middle Ages. Now, they did this study in 1978, and it was a very famous study, and they determined that it was a medieval forgery by doing carbon dating on it, right? And a lot of people at that point then started to discount the Shroud of Turin as a forgery. But 
recently, in the last 20 years, and even more, and especially with Doctors Book, and we'll get into some of the, your new findings, they found that there's some serious flaws in that study because a lot of that 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 carbon dating that was done had taken threads from a medieval patch. Mm. You know, the shroud was maintained for hundreds of years. There was holes in it, it got burned. The nuns would do herringbone weave and weave new patches right in. Mm. And then they would take a string from it and say, oh, well, this is from the medieval ages. But you could you could tell that it was from, you know, a, a patch. A patch. So, wow. doctor, would you share some things to you that stand out, number one, that were wrong with that 1978 study and some things that helped lean towards the veracity of this being a true relic of Jesus Christ's crucifixion? Right. The uh, First of all, uh, <clears throat> What we found, it was a paper came out in 2019 that uh, shows us that the homogeneity of the of the statistics are really were off, and therefore, therefore, that whole thing is canceled out with regard to it being a valid date. So that's the end of that. But from other other studies and other things that show us that this shroud is really a time, you know, time, place, and person of you know, where this has been is very, very important. When I was in Turin, I had uh, the good fortune of meeting uh, Dr. Max Fry, who did, who is the man who did the pollen studies on the shroud. And of course, uh, what that is, is that <clears throat> pollens are located, you know, found in the shroud. And he told me personally, that he spent at least five years trying to match the pollens that he saw on the shroud with areas in the world where it was. And he ended up, of course, we find that it was in France, and uh, and we find that it was in Constantinople, uh, and down into Palestine and around Jerusalem. So Fry's work gives us an itinerary of where this cloth has been prior to the the date that the carbon daters talked about. The other thing was I had an, uh, another opportunity to meet with Fleury Lindbergh. Fleury Lindbergh was the woman who actually did the reconstruction of the shroud and the, the repair, I should say, of the shroud in 2002. And she, I spent an afternoon with her in her home in Bern, Switzerland, and she talked about, you know, <clears throat> along the shroud itself, uh, has, there's a long strip along the shroud that's actually the, the same material because it's same herringbone weave and it was sewed on very likely at the time it was, <clears throat> the shroud was actually used. And that that is the stitch that she noted, and uh, it was found that that stitch is actually very unique in the whole world. And the it, the only that stitch was only found in one other place, and that's Masada in uh, uh, in Israel, uh, which uh, was destroyed in seventy four A.D. And it's only about a two to three day walk from Jerusalem to Masada. So that's very important archaeological, you know, information. So we have biological information, archaeological information. And then finally, in uh, 2022, there was a wonderful study, a new study done using X-ray diffraction. And there they uh, compared uh, looking at cloth that they compare the cloths over the years all the way back. And they had a, a, actually a piece of the cloth from Masada. And they uh, did their work on that, and they compared it with the Shroud of Turin, and they match. So from the point of view of the X-ray diffraction. Uh, so if, as far as age is concerned, we know that the Shroud is 2,000 years old. We know we have a location. We almost have a time, an archaeological time. So it's, it's, 
we 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 as far as uh, place and time, I think we've got something a lot of very good information. All of that information is actually it is in my book, The Shroud of Jesus. If for anybody and people wanted to to you know expand on that information, there's references and so forth. So could you explain what X-ray diffraction is and how that study from 2022 is uh, so important? You know, how does X-ray diffraction really, what evidence does that give of the veracity of the shroud? What it does, I mean, you're, I'm not an expert in, in X-ray diffraction of cloth, okay? So I'm, I think to get into that would not be beneficial for, for mm-hmm. any of us. But what it basically does is it compares uh, looking at cloths at different ages uh, all the way down, you know, just going back in time, cloths that they knew were certain ages have different changes that are found in the X-ray diffraction. Mm-hmm. And so as they move back further down, the changes were similar at different ages. And the, the age of, we know the age of the cloth in Masada, and that compared satisfactorily with the Shroud, the shroud of Turin. So that gives us evidence that that, is of that that cloth is a is a yeah it's a dating dating methodology yeah so you have Mm -hmm. one a control sample a control sample of a known provenance you compare it to something that's unknown and then if the results are similar it gives you that kind of date so it's Mm. okay what other um what for you are some of the most compelling pieces of evidence for the shroud what things jump out to you as a scientist as a doctor that make you really say this is the real thing. Well, uh, well, the book is full of things like that. But we can let's do something that's very, very straightforward, and that is when the fascinating thing is what really hit me is that when you read uh, the Gospel of John, everything that John talks about with regard to what you, what you see on the shroud, everything he says is on the shroud, and everything that's on the shroud is in the Gospel of John. That is, uh, from the point of view of forensic medicine and comparing, in other words, you you have a witness that had seen the events and you have the uh, cloth that is identical with these same events. That's something that really has to be considered very, very seriously. Uh, and I mean, people are, people go to jail on, on, that, kind of, on that kind of evidence. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a very, very solid piece of information, and it made it made me realize when I when I realized that that uh, the the man who wrote this the Gospel of John very intelligent, very careful about what he did, and uh, so uh, so I actually I, it, it was a, a way for me to actually investigate the the, <clears throat> the Gospel of John itself, and. Uh, Actually, the last six chapters of the book are on the Gospel of John. So almost as a, exe- a piece of exegesis, too. So the fact that you're doing biblical exegesis, and then you're also looking at the microscopic, biological, chemical levels, these this uh, you know approach with uh, scientifically proving you know the, that sits in Laban, like the 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 time frame that this is coming from, and the cultural impact that this is having from the 14th century all the way up to the present day. It just seems to me that, you know, the Shroud of Turin is really impacting the culture of Catholicism right now, and it's it's producing some fascinating things. Yeah, one of the things that always stood out to me is that if you look at a lot of the, the relics, 
both relics of Jesus and Eucharistic Eucharistic miracles. They they all comport. Yeah. So if you look at you know the Mendelian, or if you look at the um, you know a Eucharistic miracle from Italy or from Spain, you know some of the more famous mm-hmm. ones. Lanciano, Lanciano, yeah, yeah specifically and the one in Brazil. It's yeah. like this explosion of faith. Yeah, you and know? it's it's an AB blood type. It mm-hmm. all lines up, mm-hmm. and they all match. Yeah. They all match up. It, you know, if you were doing a forensic case, you said, okay, let's look at the blood evidence. Okay, we have this this face covering. We have this shroud. We have these pieces of flesh. Right, they're all the same blood type. But you'd say, okay, we're onto something here. We got something that comports with each other. And I think that's a really Interesting fact. So, Doctor, could you tell us a little bit about that? You know what what that blood evidence shares, and what we can infer from that. Well, uh, just to start with, I when I came back from Turin, I, I I really started as a skeptic because I you know I want I didn't want to I didn't need the shroud for my faith. I had my faith, and I, I didn't want to take something and perpetrate a fraud. So I was very very careful. And I there was a particular blood study off of the, it was a blood mark, it was off the left elbow. And that blood mark, uh, I started to study it and I realized without a doubt that there was a crucified man on this cloth, not only crucified, but the the blood mark was such that you could tell that the cloth actually covered a three-dimensional man. So uh, over the 45 years that I've been doing this, in all the presentations I've ever made, when you present the forensic evidence of the, the fact that this man was crucified, I never get a question after of doubt or whatever because the evidence is so powerful. And we have a number of, of uh, 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 we have 80 pictures in the book and many of them demonstrate the fact that uh, indeed this was a crucified man and that this event uh, is a real real burial and a real scourging and so forth. And, and so from that perspective, one of the things I just would like to mention quickly, because we haven't said it, I think there's in, in the audience that if there's somebody that doesn't know what the Shroud of Turin looks like, it's a cloth that's 14 feet long, three and a half feet wide. And on that cloth is a very faint image of the of a, of a, the front and back of a naked man. And of course, all the blood marks are consistent with what we read about in the Gospel of John. Yeah, so I, I've got a question. Um, is it is it has it been typical for an image to be on a burial cloth like that, or is this sort of unique to archaeological uh, evidence up to that time? Are there any indications of the supernatural? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking through um, Our Lady of Guadalupe and a lot of the meaning and the scientific realities that are there that seem to go against everything that um, physically is possible. Well, uh, from the point of view, the blood marks and the image are absolutely unique. You don't, you, you can't find anything or any cloth, any burial cloth anywhere in the world that has an image of, it, of any kind. Uh, that resembles something like the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin is absolutely unique in the world. It's unique from the point of view of the uh, uh, of this image, which is, uh, and, and no one has been able to reproduce this image. We could go into, the book goes into great detail of the, uh, of how the, what, what the base of the, why we see the image. For example, just to, just to touch on that for just a moment, uh, a thread, has many little fibers in it and many, many fibers. And those fibers 
are the diameter of those fibers are way less than the hairs on your head. And it is the yellowing of those fibers that is the base of why the image is there. No one has been re able to reproduce the image at that microscopic level. Uh, the yellowing is, is a, a dehydrative oxidation, which is basically a, a degeneration of, of cellulose, the cloth itself. And, uh, you, you, you know, if you go to your grandmother's and you take a pot off, if she has a linen cloth, take the pot off, you see it's white in the middle and uh, it's sort of yellow around the edges. That, that light, heat, and acid can cause that yellowing, but the image has never been reproduced. So that itself is fascinating. The fact that it is a, which you mentioned before, that for years it was, uh, <clears throat> it was only after photography that we get the, the positive image here. That is another phenomenon. Who, who created an image that, uh, a negative image when photography was only invented in the 19th century? So there's a lot of, uh, and from the point of view of uh, the blood marks themselves, uh, and the and the image itself definitely points to a a, a supernatural event. Uh, it's the blood marks are absolutely natural. The blood the image uh, one would have to uh, read the book, but there are several points that point that show that this is uh, answer your question. Yes, it points to a supernatural event. Yeah, the anatomical data on there are things that no look. We have a we have a known provenance for the Shroud of Turin, at least into the 14th century. We it's known, right? So the question is: Is it a medieval forgery? The anatomical data displayed in the shroud, both from blood spray or you know blood spread pattern, from the nature of how the whipping would have occurred to the state of rigor mortis, to even. Um, some some scientists have been able to find things like glued on um, notes that would have been put on maybe as almost like a uh, a Roman death sentence onto the cloth itself, like you know, pasted on, plastered on. Some of those things just would not have been known to anybody in the world anatomically, physiologically, and scientifically at the time when the shroud first appears verified archaeologically. Archaeologically, it's just an impossibility. Mm -hmm. yeah. In then. To take the 3D data, to take the the ability for the, what he said, the oxidation of the cloth to be only so many microscopic microns thin, it's not something that can be recreated even with modern technology. They say that you would have to have basically a light source greater than all the lights that we can put together now burst in a second and create a radiation to make this kind of image. It's not feasible with our technology to this day. Sure as heck not in 13th century France mm -hmm. or in 10th century Constantinople. <clears throat> so when you put all of this evidence together, it really does lend credence to, look, can we say that this was the shroud of Jesus? That's going to be a matter, an article of faith, because there isn't a solid line of possession. But is something going on here that makes no sense scientifically? Mm -hmm. And does it all signs lean towards this absolutely and and why would it why would it be secured from you know the holy land and all these fibers that are clearly identifying this is where the source is you know that it would that would move through the possession of the knights if it did not uphold some amount of prominence and 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 uh, provenance in the sense of you know this is an important relic that we need to secure 
Yeah, I, I think my uh, my teachers might have been uh, kind of weirded out my because like my first big book report in like the third or fourth grade, I did a complete history of the Shroud of Turin. Oh, I really? found, you <laughs> know, I found like Joffrey de Charnay, and I was going through like, you know, the whole the history of it. And they're like, okay, kid, no, this is great. We would have been fine with like. Clifford the Bidrag dog. <laughs> so I think I think my my career had kind of been cast at that point. One of the things that I think you're mentioning this uh, in the title of your book, which is the Shroud of Turin and the Ingenious Science placed by John, is that in the Gospel of John, there's a very specific mention. This one always stood out mm-hmm. to me. You know, the the angels sitting in there, and they say the cloth was folded up next to that. It is mentioned. The Shroud of Turin is mentioned in the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not explicitly as people would like, but they're like. The face covering, which to me would sound like the Mandelian, right? Mm, And then the shroud itself was there. So even when John is writing his gospel, people were cognizant and aware of cloths that were related to the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. Doctor, Mm. uh, what what are your thoughts on, because I know that's a big focus of this. You said the last chapter of the book is dedicated to the gospel of John or goes through that. What inspired you to take this approach? to this book uh well, in, a, in other words why did i get into the gospel of john so much in this yes. book right okay so what it is is uh let's put it this way when i studied the shroud i got to a point where i i knew a lot about the blood marks i knew a lot about the image just like you all do but uh and people said well this is probably the moment this is the moment of the resurrection but i didn't feel that there was anything on there even though the image was so fascinating and the blood marks were definitely that of a crucified man. It, it there wasn't enough for me to convince me that this is indeed the shroud of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, however, when I was doing one one study, uh, working on the blood on the face, I realized I what I did is I took a, a, a photograph of uh, uh, my my volunteer, and he was sitting at the dining room table. I took his picture, and I said, "No, the man of the shroud is lying down." When we do this study, I have have you lie down. Would you lie down here? And I took his picture. And uh, so anyway, when I got the photographs back, I was kind of excited to look at it because, you know, the shroud is supposed to be a negative. That's told, and so I looked at the, my negative. Of course, it was in 1980s when, when photography, you know, you get the package, positive and negative uh, films and so forth. So I look at the negative and I compare it to the shroud and it doesn't look at all like the shroud at all, the, the original cloth. Uh, the, it's a, just a bland gray, and on uh, the shroud, you see light areas around the eyes and the nose and so forth. And I said, what's the matter here? Is this a fake or what what are, what are people doing? What are people telling me? But anyway, I started going through the rest of my negatives, and all of a sudden I came across the my same volunteer, and, the, uh, and I was fascinated and awed because that particular photograph of that a volunteer looked very much like the shroud. It had light areas around the eyes, under the nose, and so forth. Those were actually basically shadows. And but but that was the photograph that I took of him sitting at the dining room table when he was upright. So all of a sudden, I sort of sensed this is an image of an upright man, not lying down, but upright. So it was so awesome. It was an awesome moment. It. Got it, it caused me to actually back out of the room in awe. And then I came back in and uh, I started to look at it again. And I looked at the fact that these what looked like shadows in the face also were in the under the <clears throat> shadows under the pectoral muscles and uh, between the hands and 
between the fingers and under the hands. And I said, is there anything else that corresponds to a man, this man being upright? And I looked at this very carefully and I said, my gosh, it was like the elephant in the room. I look at the hair and the hair actually just, you know, just flows down to the shoulders and down the back. That is absolutely fascinating. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I never would have considered that. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, I'm still kind of new to all this. So is it does does this mean that as a as a part of his resurrection, he he was revived? Uh, we're, we're assuming, obviously, laying down and then sat up alive, and then somehow came. You know this this image came through that particular posture. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you know. <laughs> what this means. Uh, so anyway, I, I looked at that and being a physician, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly uh, having people sit at a, at, 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 uh, on a table and have them lie down people with long hair and the hair always falls back. And then again, when it hits the table, it gets flattened out and so forth. You don't see any of that on the hair at all. So now I'm going to take you to, if you, if you followed me into uh, an autopsy room or, uh, uh, or work with cadavers, I remember when I was a young man, uh, my first uh, cadaver, and when I was studying uh, and doing anatomy uh, and doing dissection and turning over the body, I found how sh sort of shocked I was, how the back is all remains flat, it's flattened, the buttocks is flattened and so forth. And uh, if you just take, and what we did, and I, and I, and all these photographs from the book, like I said, we have 80 photographs. What I say is what's there. You see it for yourself, you decide for yourself what it is. But if you, we took a man, we put him on gla a glass plate, and then I had a, photo a uh, an artist, you know, draw him, and uh, he's all, his back is flattened and his, you know, his buttocks and so forth. When you compare that to the shroud, you find that there, uh, the, the shroud doesn't have these flattened areas because if it did, uh, when we're dealing with talking about a, a negative and it's, it's black and white. And so you see form, when you see form, you go from a, a, a white to a gray. And if you have an area that's totally flattened, it would be just all the same gray, if you know where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so you don't see that. You see the, the form of a man who is literally upright. So from the point of view of the shadows, the hair, and the back, uh, the man of the shroud is actually upright. And not only that, but that he is literally like lifted upright because his feet are crossed and he's not standing. That was the big thing when I looked at that. I says, he's upright, but why isn't he standing? So you're, and I'm getting to the point where you want, where you're asking me, how did I get to the Bible with this? Okay. Well, that's how I got to the Bible. I said, how, if he's upright, if he's raised up and he's resurrected, he should be standing. Where do I find a man who is literally lifted up as if he's still up on the cross? Uh, where do I find that? Where's the answers? And the only place I could look was the Bible. So I went and I read Mark, Luke, and Matthew, and I found absolutely nothing about that. I got into the Gospel of John, and Jesus himself says, and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, and what does that describe? When I'm lifted up above the earth, will draw people to myself. So there I saw that that's an actually a description of what I'm looking at on the Shroud of Turin. 
So uh, I, the, next, the next statement actually says, well, he's talking about his crucifixion. However, I looked, I looked back into that even more and I looked at commentators and, like, such as Raymond Brown and so forth. Uh, and so Raymond Brown talks about when you get into reading the commentary, he talks about the culminating moment of his career is when he, Jesus, is lifted up uh, in death and resurrection to heaven to draw people to himself. So if you study that and understand what Jesus means about being lifted up, and he talks about it three times at least and uh, in, the, in the gospel, that that is really, it's really talking about lifted up in crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. That's what it is. And it, it's, it's a, that's understood from the, uh, the Catholic perspective, Protestant perspective, that's definitely understood. So, so, so the, the implication <clears throat> would be that, let, let's say he was on the burial stone, then at the moment of resurrection, lifted up in the air? Because he was still would have been bound like he was in the image. So if he would have been lifted up in the air before the resurrection, maybe that captures that moment. And, and, and this is why I love fetus at ratio, right? This is why I love faith, faith and reason. And JP2 expresses that faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. Right now, we're scientifically drawing closer to the reality of this upright you know, mm -hmm. dead man that that the shroud has has covered. We're we're identifying that all of these circumstances are leading to uh, many of us to have faith that this is the shroud, the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. That is this icon of mm. Holy Saturday. And now the subject is now not constrained in a certain point to realities that the human person suffers in body on earth. So we know Jesus walking through the walls of the upper room behind locked doors. Jesus in this form now, the shroud is kind of pointing to a reality that he is not subject to uh, the, the the human person's subjectivity to gravity even uh, in, in the effect of the yeah, body yeah, yeah. Uh, in the state of, of death. Um, it's kind of fascinating. I've, I've never heard of this yeah, before. Yeah, thinking back about now what he was saying, Doctor, is like, okay, if he had been laying down and this image captured the moment when he mm -hmm. was laying down on the stone, there would have been that flattening of yeah, all of his back. exactly. But also, let's say if he was upright but sitting on a chair, right? Gravity would have still... Even his, even his, you know, posterior would have been flattened mm -hmm. or it would show some leaning or something like that because there'd be a flattening of the 3D data. So this shows... In that position, which is a not a natural human position, you mm -hmm. know, there was some rigor mortis, bent knees, arched back, mm -hmm. hands covering the the private. Um, there's no flattening, so then that that's really interesting. That I've is never heard that. Absolutely fascinating, and. Um, I've worked in a prep room. I worked at the cemetery, the funeral home. I've had to move uh, bodies and, and be a part of that procedure uh, when I was very young, when I was 18, 19 years old, uh, into my into my into my 20s, and. Um, that experience of the body in the state of death uh, that that Dr. Lavoy is describing working with cadavers, like <laughs> when you have to move a dead body, mm -hmm. the weight of it and the way that the shifting of that weight 
in the body, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Instead of like, you know, say I, I hurt myself and you have to carry me or you try to yeah. pick me up with it's, Robert it's, at the gala the other dead day. Weight. Yeah. It's called yeah. dead weight. But yeah. like I was dead weight in, yeah. with you and Robert, but at the same time, like if I was truly dead, the weight and the way that my body would, would the balance of it, the balance of it would, would be, would be very, very different. It's purely like an anatomical weight structure, mm-hmm. not like, you know, you're helping somebody out. Yeah. 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 This is very fascinating uh, data and and scientific evidence that you're bringing into this discussion. And it really sets your book, Dr. Lavoie, The Shroud of Jesus and the Sign John Ingeniously Concealed, uh, really to the forefront of this cultural movement gathering around the Shroud of Turin and really reinvigorating a, a very precise look at this great relic of Jesus and this icon of Holy Saturday. Now, Doctor, where can people find this book? How can they read this book and get, you know, really dig into this evidence that you're presenting? Well, uh, this is the, the book has uh, been published by Sophia Institute Press. One can go directly there and uh, any any Catholic bookstore or uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, whatever. I mean, the book is everywhere. Uh, you can or you should be able to get it. Yeah. I'll put a link below. So I'll put a link below to where you can get that book. Yeah. So you can go to ta- you can go to CatholicTalkShow.com forward slash shroud and get the book, and I'll have the link below and make sure that we link directly to that. So go check, you know, so you can check this out. Um, now, real quick, before we wrap up the episode and get into the last pieces that we want to discuss about this, um, I do want to talk about our sponsors. So number one is the number one Catholic prayer app, and that is Hollow. Hollow has been prayed by people all across the world. It has all kinds of amazing features. Um, daily features like the rosary and meditation, sleep aids, gospel readings and reflections. It has people like Bishop Barron and Scott Hahn. It has Father Mike Schmitz and all sorts of people who help lead you in prayer. It also has seasonal things like an Advent challenge to prepare you for Christmas. It has things like um, meditations on death for the month of November as we contemplate our own deaths. It has things to prepare you for just about any liturgical season. Um, I use it every day. We know when I'm going for my hikes in the morning, I put that on, I listen to the rosary on there, and then I listen to maybe the reflection for the gospel. And then other times I'll use it for, you know, look, you try to take a nap and your mind's racing a little bit. They have sleep stories. They have meditative prayer and music. There's so much to this app. So if you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash hollow, you can try this app for free. It's something that we've all used and we all love. Prayer is foundational to the Christian life, and we need to begin and end our days and certainly throughout our days stop and have prayerful moments of intimacy with God. This is what motivates the activity of our charity and really establishing the fruits and the labors that are proper to the kingdom of God. And the prayer as a foundation with our other partner is the very essence of Exodus and their movement in the world right now. Mm -hmm. They have such a high level of reach and so many thousands, tens of thousands of men Mm -hmm. have participated in some or many of the Exodus programming from Exodus 90 to other types of programs that they're offering year round. You know, it's really a tremendous way for men to get together, to live out the ascetical life, to empty themselves out of all of the world's enticements and drawing into the flesh and live that ascetical, prayerful fraternity that's going to strengthen your manhood and really appreciate the spiritual value of walking together in faith. Yeah. If you're a man and who haven't tried Exodus, this is something that we really encourage. It's something that we've all done. It helps recenter your spirituality and your faith towards a better experience and towards making you the man that God intended you to be. 
through those three pillars of prayer, asceticism, fraternity. So they have things like right now they're going through the book of Maccabees and showing you how, you know, battles in autumn to prepare yourself to be a spiritual warrior. They'll have Advent preparation during the month of December. And then starting on January 1st, they'll have their 90-day exodus, which leads you up in a period of fasting and asceticism to prepare you for Easter, which is what we're talking about here. So if you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash exodus, you can try this out. We really encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, it helps our sponsors and it helps us produce the show when you try this stuff. But these are all life-changing apps. Mm. But that's what we're talking about is a culmination of Easter, the resurrection here. So, Doctor, before we go... What would you say are if you could if you were talking to a skeptic, someone who knows nothing about the shroud but says there's no way this is the real thing? If you had one minute to give them some piece of data to at least open a kernel of doubt in their mind that this might actually be real, what would you say to them? Well, I uh, I just what I would say is I would just refer them to my book because you can't say in one minute everything that you want to say about the shroud. It's interesting that you mentioned people like Scott Hahn. My book is actually endorsed by Scott Hahn. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Aquilino, Father uh, Rocky from uh, Relevant Radio, and, and others. So, uh, but so I you really have to go to the book. There's so much really to it. But what what it was was the upright man and not understanding that uh, caused me to go to the to the study of the Gospel of John. And and there's you know it it the, you can't understand the shroud unless you understand. Uh, you you read and understand how it's related to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John really gives you the inside information about what the Shroud of Turin is about. Uh, from my perspective, in uh, the perspective of the book, is I believe that from from the experience I've had over these forty five years, that God is really uh, communicating to us through this cloth, through the blood and image of His Son. He's letting us know that. His resurrect, his uh, his death and crucifixion, resurrection and ascension are real. They're a reality. He's letting us know that uh, that get, uh, through uh, the study of of his gospel and so forth, that we know there's this is a sign. This whole book, the the sign that you you're interested about the sign. The sign is really the upright man of the shroud, and the upright man of the shroud tells us. Uh, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and also the bread of life. Mm -hmm. These are a little too complex to get into in such a short period of time, but it's all there in the book, The Shroud of Jesus. And, uh, and so overall, what The Shroud does is tell us in, in our world that this God is real and spiritual life is real. And we can see it for ourselves. All you need is your mind and your eyes. Look at these, look at the data, Decide for yourself and come to realize that God is real. You have to seek. You have to be willing to go out and look. In this, in, with this book, you can seek. Look at the photographs. Make your own decision. And make sure that you go out there and pick up the book today, The Shroud of Jesus by Dr. Lavoie. Dr. Lavoie, what a pleasure to have you on the show. And sincerely, the work that you have done is really helping us to delve ever more deeply scientifically, but also biblically into the mystery of what this shroud contains for the edification of faith of the people of God or in and around the world. There's nothing that's caused such fascination and culture recently than the Shroud of 
of Turin, and even the privilege that I had in visiting the Cathedral of Salamanca, mm. where in October 13, 2022, at the Salamanca Cathedral, the exhibition entitled The Mystery Man concluded a 15-year-long effort by Alvaro Blanco and a group of artists under Blanco's instruction to generate a deep study of the shroud and then ultimately create a 3D carbon copy of the Jesus of Nazareth and praying before that image where you're reflecting on every single wound precisely generated at the location of the body, the exact height and weight and all of these things. It was one of the most fascinating experiences. This mystery man is in in Salamanca Cathedral, but will be going on various pilgrimages of presentation. And we want to invite you to lock in your calendars because in 2025, we are going to be going to Rome right after Easter, leading up to Divine Mercy Sunday, and we're going to be able to see this image that's generated from the Shroud of Turin, again, participating in the works that are being done right now in the Catholic Church to expose the most powerful, miraculous reality that we can scientifically draw close to of Jesus's resurrection, his body, blood, soul, and divinity resurrected from the tomb and ascended into heaven. These relics are here for us, the Eucharist. Eucharist is here for us so that we may truly enter more deeply and immersively into communion with God. The sacrifice of Jesus gives us that atonement and that proper relationship and orientation to God and his obedience. So guys, what a pleasure to always connect. And Dr. Lavoie, again, thank you so much for your hard work. And we look forward to seeing all of you next week right here at the Catholic Talk Show. God bless.